C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood. Hello and welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Ergie. And I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats. And today we are joined by, once again, an esteemed guest, Ashton Whitney of Destination Stories. Ashton, can you say hi and introduce yourself um, for our listeners? Yes. Hi, I'm Ashton. I'm super happy to be here. I have no idea exactly what you guys are going to ask, but I'm ready to go. <laughs> so, okay. um, Ashton, can you just tell a little bit about just really quickly uh, what you do when you were born and where you're from and where you live now? But I know that's a complicated question. <laughs> <laughs> that is a complicated question. But okay, so I was born in 1992. So I think I'm like smack dab in the middle of the millennial era. I'm 27 mm-hmm. now. So, and I'm from South Mississippi, a town called Ellisville. And now I work freelance, which is a relatively new thing for me. I've been doing this for about four months and I live on the road. So I am a digital nomad, all the stereotypes. That's awesome. And I love it so far, but we're only a few months in, like I said. So it's like all new and shiny and I haven't really gotten you know, any of the, well, I have had some insane stories. (laughs) We look forward to getting into that. Oh yeah. So where in the world are you right now? So right now I am in Texas. Okay. So far this year I've been in Albuquerque and Portland and Seattle. Yeah. I think that's it so far. Very cool. Salt Lake City. (laughs) Awesome. But your first big international trip is coming up, correct? Yes, that's right. Uh, we're on round two, my second attempt at going Ooh. to Ireland in about a month. We'll so. get into that later. It's a very yes. interesting story. All Love right, it. awesome. All right, well, shall we'll dive into our first segment then. Yes. So, uh, Maddie, do you have a millennial moment? I do. I feel like my whole life is just a millennial moment. I was lamenting to Shay because she's been so patiently waiting for me to do, like, actual work stuff for her. Oh, and please. It's been just a hot mess express, I feel like, since my birthday, really, like, since the end of January, like, the past two months, it was, like, I've, I just, like, planned all of my personal vacation, basically, in the spring. Like, I don't really have, I'm going to Atlanta this weekend, and I was just in Columbia, like, last weekend, and before that, I was in Puerto Rico, I went to Puerto Rico, and I went to Colorado for work for two weeks and this has all happened like in the last two months and then also within those two months my boss quit and now I have a new boss but his wife is due on April 8th so he's oh she's like (laughs) 8.9 months pregnant at this point and is like gonna give birth at any moment and then he'll be out for two weeks and then when he comes back from his two weeks I am going to Florida for a week so I'm not gonna see my brand new boss until the end of April And so, and I'm going to Atlanta tomorrow. So we were like, oh, we basically have to plan out like the next month today, basically. Yeah. Uh And he has no idea what I do. He's like not in the same group. He's just kind of, I mean, he's a really nice guy. I don't want to like disparage him. He's like doing his best, but he is from like a different part of the department. He has like no idea 
like what my job is. So I've been like trying to get him up to speed and also like do my job at the same time and figure out I'm training all these new people. So I just feel like I'm kind of floundering. And then to top it all Aww. off yesterday, um, the woman who lives in the apartment below me was like, there's water leaking into our apartment. This is the second time this has happened. So I'm like hypersensitive to it because I don't want them mm. to hate us. Uh, but my dishwasher broke like this was over the <gasps> summer. Not not the current thing, but over the summer, the dishwasher broke and that's why it was leaking. So I was like, oh, is it the dishwasher again? No, it's not. It's definitely coming from the bathroom. And we think we determined that it was because the grout around the tub was like kind of cracking. And I was like, OK, this is like an easy project. I'll just get some silicone caulk and I'll just like re-caulk it myself. Oh, Maddie. And so last night, it was like such a shit show. What happens when I'm not there? <laughs> last night, I was like, I got like a t- uh, some sort of utensil and I was like chipping away at the grout to get to like a clean place to like put the new stuff in. And literally the tiniest amount of pressure, just a little, little chink, all the tiles of the bathroom started <laughs> falling down. <laughs> <laughs> onto me <laughs> and i'm like oh my god and so then i realized that they're the tiles are like not affixed to anything and all the wall behind the tiles is damp with water damage mm-hmm. and it's moldy welcome to new york city baby. And i was like oh my god so then i was like well i can't recock because there's no tiles anymore because they've all come off and i was like i can't re-put the tiles back on because no. it's wet and so I was like, fuck. And so then I put up this like makeshift plastic thing and Corey went downstairs to be with the neighbor while I turned the shower on and there was no leak. So that leads me us to believe it's it's the issue with the tiles and not, you know, something else like in the walls or something. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, so it's been like drying out and I got more plastic stuff. So now I'm trying to like put the plastic on the wall so that we can at least use the shower Oh, no. And I don't know how successful that's going to be. That's going to be my evening after this. Um, So we'll see. And I'm also calling contractors because we're like, we're going to have to redo this bathroom. Like, it's all effed up. So I think this story, uh, just to illuminate for our readers a little bit, is a good um, indicator of how jaded living in New York City makes you. Because Ashton has this look of complete horror on her face. And I'm (laughs) like, you know whatever once my bathroom ceiling yeah. fell in five yeah. seconds after i was peeing and you know it was fine yeah it's a but very i also thing. did not own that appoint- apartment so yeah. i do not envy what you're going through yeah i mean that's all. the biggest thing like i was talking to my dad about it and he's like the size of my bathroom like where they live in michigan like could probably be redone for like three thousand dollars and he's yeah. like it's probably gonna cost you like ten thousand dollars and then even like as i've been talking to people they're like it's gonna be more than that and i'm like great amazing but hopefully my mom sent me a picture this is not a visual medium but you know those showers that have like a built-in like bench yes that's what i want to do i'm like if we're gonna redo this we're gonna make it swanky as hell and not some janky ass thing which has been because at that point, if it's like paying ten grand or twelve grand, like just pay the fucking twelve grand, yeah. and then in fifteen years or whenever you decide to sell that apartment, you'll get quite a bit of money back. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Benson is going to be so fired oh today. God, hello, Sorry, listeners. It's all good. So yeah, I don't know. It's just like I'm like I I have to. I'm gonna. I'm doing this. I'm packing tonight to go to Atlanta tomorrow at work. I'm gonna have to like 
figure out what's happening because it's the last time I'm going to see my boss. And then I'm also like, if we don't have a shower, you know, I'm going to Atlanta. So at least I'll be able to shower in Atlanta. But when I come back, I'm like, I guess I'll go to the gym with Corey. Mm. Maybe it'll entice me to work out more. We'll see. Go to Peloton. They have the best showers. That's true. But all of these things are not inside my apartment like I want them to be. So I'm hoping the plastic sheet will work as an interim method. But we'll see. I was just like, wow, I did not realize what jankiness was happening under this tile until it all started falling onto me last night. With literally, I wasn't even because when I called my dad, he was like, were you like prying it? And I was like, no, I literally like tapped it ever so slightly with the tool. Hey, make sure you take a bunch of pictures because your homeowners insurance yes, may cover. That is what this. Corey gave me that good advice too. So I've been yeah. snapping pics. But anywho, that's my Imagine if you bumped it like in the shower. If you like, yeah, I know. And, like, caught yourself on the wall and then everything just came down. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine? Like, ugh, it definitely could have been much worse, and yeah. It could have caused more damage too to the apartment downstairs. So I'm glad we caught it when we did. But at the same time, it's just like it sucks. You only have one bathroom and it's like not working. And, you know, Aww. it's not like I need one more thing on my plate. So we'll see. Totally. Uh, what about you, Shay? Well, I mean, I had a couple. Um, and I'm just going to say them all because Great. two of them are really short. And the third one is keeping with Maddie's theme. Um, the first is Ashton and I became friend, our internet friends who met in real life and are now real life friends. Oh. So I think that's very millennial. That is cool. Um, the second thing is I got these blue light reflecting glasses and I look real dorky. Oh, are them. they the Felix Ray one? Felix Gray? No, they're like cheap ones from oh. Amazon. Because I wanted to like test them out before I committed with more expensive. But I feel like they look real dumb, but they also make me feel like the cool girl I always wanted to be in New York. So that's very millennial. And then my actual millennial moment is I had to use my car insurance for the first time ever. Um, I always thought car insurance was just kind of like an imaginary thing that for some reason you have to give money to every six months. But no, when some uninsured asshole backs this trailer hitch into your car and literally punctures your door car insurance comes in very handy to replace that door is oregon a no fault state no but i like do you have to have insurance because in michigan it's a no fault state and like it's you never it's like never an issue, basically. Like no one's yeah. ever at fault. It just like goes through the insurance. So yeah. Well, I mean, I think the problem was like I called my insurance and they were like, "Well, yeah, clearly you were not at fault because I was driving in the road and he backed straight into me whilst yeah. I was driving." Um, it wasn't like I could have been paying avoided, more attention yeah. or avoided it or anything, but. And at first she was like, oh, we'll waive your deductible, blah, blah, blah. And then, but I mean, honestly, I have to say, thank God for this at my insurance because I called them and I was like, this is the situation. I uploaded the claim. I do not have time to deal with this. And they were like, fine, we'll do everything. And they like sleuthed him down, found this guy (laughs) off of like this janky business card he gave me, found out that he didn't have insurance, came back, like handled everything. And I was like, you know what? Um, I love this. And then I went to the auto body shop and I keep talking about this cause I, it's the one that the, uh, insurance recommended and it is all female 
forward face. I mean, I think some of their mechanics are men, but all the forward, like client facing staff are women. Um, the inspectors are all women. Some of the mechanics are women. And I was like, I love wow. this. That's great. Yeah. So it's very exciting. Love it. So that's fine. All right, Ashton, what is your millennial moment? Um, in keeping with yours, mine also has to do with insurance. Because oh. like I said, I quit my corporate job a couple of months ago, really. I mean, like my insurance lasted until the end of February. So I'm having to get insurance on my own without an employer for the first time. And it turns out it's terrifying. There are so many forms. And like, of course, <laughs> I know that. Like, I know it's going to be an ordeal. But like actually having to deal with it has been surprising in all of the different ways. <laughs> so yeah. I don't think it's available to you if you're keeping your Mississippi address, but Oscar or Kaiser are both very easy to deal with. Nope. Neither of those are <laughs> Okay. Well then I'm sorry. Uh, you're yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I found a company called Joni, J O A N Y from mm -hmm. some kind of like freelancers website and they are like a concierge service. So they've been kind of helping. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. This sounds like an advertisement. Like it's not, <laughs> but hashtag not sponsored. Exactly. I know. I, I almost said a minute ago, there's an app. Okay. I'm one of those people who's always like, there's an app for everything. There's an app for that. And when you mentioned your like blue light glasses, yeah. I used to, I tried to get some of those and I didn't like them because I wear like real glasses. And I found an app called flux that like somehow changes like the coloring of your screen to oh. remove blue light yeah. and it's amazing because I used to get migraines with oh, blue no. light. I spend all day on the computer and I noticed it in grad school of course yeah, clearly. <laughs> and oh yeah that's the, not to jump in on your thing sh uh, Ashton but I also in the midst of my crisis I decided I'll I'll show you guys because I I'm using it as a bike stand but I decided that I'm going to grad school and I ordered this huge stack of books that I'm using as a mic stand. Okay, and I feel like that's a very millennial moment. Yeah. <laughs> also, I, Madeline, you decide to go to grad school without talking to me or consulting me in any way. I, mean, I thought we were both best friends and podcast co-hosts. I mean, I literally was like, yeah. I mean, you you would have told me to do it, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. So that's the consultation. <laughs> you know what I mean? True. What would you Um, But yeah, I'm sure once I get into the application process and such. No, I was just like thinking about it, and I was like, I feel like I'm at the point where my, with my job where like it's, I feel like I have a good story to like apply. At, at first, I was like, do I want to go to business school? Do I not? Because I have a business school degree already from undergrad. And then, like, the more and more I thought about it, the more and more I was like, it makes sense. And then, like, timing-wise, by the time I apply, hopefully, fingers crossed, I'll have had promotion over the summer. And then I'll have, like, two years at my old job, two years at my new job to, like, craft some sort of story. Um, we obviously will not link to the podcast in my grad school application. So they're like, wow, she really put no thought into this um no. <laughs> but and then i can i can take the gmat take my time study for it take it in the fall and then apply in the spring and then see where i get in and go from there i'm kind of like being laissez-faire about it because if i don't get in somewhere like really amazing slash columbia so i don't have to leave new york um then i just like probably won't go <laughs> so it's more of just like we'll do it and we'll see so I love your attitude. I and I was also very laissez-faire about my business school degree. I 
it was supposedly a prestigious program. And I like, I don't understand to this day why they let me in. Cause I just walked in and I was like, I'm going to go to school here. And they're like, okay, sounds good. <laughs> That's exactly I wish... how I felt applying. Yeah. I was like, oh, this sounds like a good idea. Yeah. yeah That's good. It's just so. Yeah. yeah. As opposed to like, I know a lot of other people where they're like, I have to get this specific degree. Or like we were talking about Jenny, like is going to library science school. It's like, you have to go to get a job like in that field. Whereas I'm like, eh, if I don't get in and it's not worth it, then I can always wait or just continue working. I just feel like there's no way I'm like starting to realize there's no way I'm going to get ahead in finance or in the business world more generally, unless I have an advanced degree. And I feel like the longer you wait, the more like life inertia hits you and you're like, uh, and you just like keep putting it off like the later into your 20s you go and then once like 30s hit then it's like no it's one's all over by yeah you're like 30. you're just tight like you know I'm not trying to like age you Shay but I feel like once from what I've gathered I feel like once you hit your 30s you're like you don't have the energy for like all this nonsense anymore as much no more nonsense yeah that's true so be very specific about your nonsense yeah and it's like from the time you decide like I pretty much just decided it's like you decide and then you're not even gonna be in the seat of going to grad school for two more years basically by the time you take all the tests apply they make a decision and then you have like a couple months to get your act together so you really have to think about it as like four years as opposed to if the program's only two years you know um agreed but yeah so it's kind of a spur of the moment thing over the summer Yeah, we'll see. Hot I'm breaking news here. Try these practice tests, and that'll be the first deciding factor. Because if I can't get a high enough grade on the test, then I'm not going to get into a top program. So true. I'm glad you're already getting practice using expensive books for just like yeah. random yeah. crap. Because that's so like a ten thousand dollar TV stand basically is just your textbooks. Yeah, with your TV. Like, I know exactly right. I'm forever. using it as a mic stand. It literally came. I was opening the ma- Amazon packages right when I came in, and I was like, "Oh, this is the perfect height to use as a mic stand. This is what it's going to be." So, anywho, sorry, Ashton. I totally co-opted your millennial moment with my. I should have led with that, but no, no, no. I think that's a. I think that's like a very universal millennial moment, <laughs> though, because, I mean, and also I love that you talked about like kind of, I guess using your story but no, I don't think your attitude about that is bad at all like it is your story but you're kind of like what's the the word for you know curating it yeah it's gra- like yeah it's like how do I make it sound like oh I worked in financial services for two years and then I wanted to make a change to work at an operating company and now I've been here for two years and I had one promotion it's like obviously all that stuff is true but it's just like not the way you would talk about it to like someone face to face but that's like what grad school they eat that shit up I love it. <laughs> I love it. All right. Be great. Moving along, campers. Yes. Um, Maddie, do you have a hot, toasty campfire topic for us today? Yeah. So I had another one, but then I was perusing the interwebs today and I saw this New York Times article. Um, it was curated in the Girl Boss newsletter and it was about female solo travelers, which I thought was just perfect <gasps> given. I who... haven't read that yet and that is so perfect, but I saw anyway, go on. You sorry. saw it. Have you read it, Ashton? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Okay. I would like to. It it was called, it it has like, I should have pulled it up, but it it has like three words and one of them is like alone and then it talks about female travelers, specifically solo travel, um, which I haven't really done, but I know both of you have experience in that. Um, And it talked about, it was kind of like a three-part article, which was nice. I thought it was like a nice holistic view because I feel like 
there's kind of this dichotomy in a lot of popular media about this topic where they're either like women can never travel because it's so dangerous or they're like, oh, it's fine. Like women power, whatever, like do what you want. And there's no like middle ground that's based in reality. So like the reality is, especially if you're going to different places in South America, even different places in Europe, like especially going to very patriarchal countries where even the women that live in those countries are treated poorly on a daily basis. If you're a foreigner, you're going to be treated extra poorly um, in those countries a lot of times, especially if you're, um, you know, a minority woman or a woman that is of a different ethnicity from the majority of that country. Um, you obviously stand out and are a target. So those statistics exist. Like, there's no denying that traveling as a woman solo is more dangerous than traveling as a man solo. And, you know, I always think like when I we talked about it, when we uh, were talking about Jedediah Jenkins book to shake the sleeping self about a guy that rode his bicycle from Oregon to Patagonia in South America. And the whole time I was reading that book, I was like, dude, if this was written by a woman, she would have been shanked. Chapter one, like this guy's sleeping in Colombia, he's like liaising with like some really dangerous people. And he even admits he's like, even as a man, like I had a lot of lucky breaks. So you imagine like women just wouldn't like men accepted him into their homes because he was another man in a way that he would not have been accepted getting free lodging and s- stuff like this if he was a woman. So I think there's a he lot of stories like that. There would yeah. just be expectations. <laughs> right, exactly. So um, I thought they they talked about that really well. They were like, look, there have been a lot of high profile murders of solo traveler women. Airbnb has had a lot of high press about this, that there's been women that have been murdered or raped inside their Airbnbs and how they're liable or not liable for stuff like that. Um, and so I thought that was interesting. But then they also talked about why, as millennials, this need to solo travel and how that's fueled by um, Instagram culture and blogging that has really taken off since the 90s and early 2000s and how it's used as this um, sort of coming of age moment. Like a lot of people my age are, you know, they take a trip after graduation or before starting a job and oftentimes don't have friends or family to travel with them and how this solo travel kind of how to weigh those two things. If you're a woman, you want to have that coming of age experience. You want to have that independence, but you also want to be cognizant of traveling. And then they kind of rounded it out by being like, here are some tips and things that you could do if you're a woman traveler, if you're thinking about doing this. So I thought it was a really great kind of eye-opening article, but I don't know if either of you have had experiences, either good or bad, solo traveling as a woman. Both. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because so since I spend so much of my time in travel media, I don't really see that dichotomy as much because I'm in tons of really focused Facebook groups about solo traveling for women, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of them are people who are new and they've never done it before. And so they're like nervous, but they're already in groups of encouraging women like who love to travel. So I only see like that side of it most of the time. And then the people who are surprised or scared for me tend to be like my grandparents, you know. Um, but you're also uh-huh. preparing yourself and it's to say, you know, similarly to murder in the continental U.S., it happens, but it's exceedingly rare. So even these women that have had really horrible experiences at their Airbnb in Costa Rica, for example, it's still a super small, small percentage of all the women that solo travel every year around the world. So, um, yeah. 
it's I mean, it's still a, like the odds are you're not going to get raped and murdered. It's just compared to men. Yeah. And even sexual harassment, street harassment. Like I just visited my friend in Columbia and she like I experienced it very little. We were in a, b- a big city, but she lives in a small town and she was like, I get sexually harassed and groped every day, every single day, just going to the mayor's office, like normal stuff like the post office. She was just like, it's just a common place. So you imagine if you're a tourist that maybe doesn't have their wits about them. Those are the types of situations you find yourself in. And that to me is like horrifying. Like if someone grabbed me in the street in New York, like I would probably call the cops. And that's just yeah. everyday life for her. So um, I mean, oh, sorry, go on. No, that, that was it. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, I've traveled all over the U.S., Canada, and Europe by myself, and I've always had, I would say my experiences have been 97% positive. Um, but again, I've been very well educated. I tend to go places where I, so I speak English, Spanish, and uh, enough French to get by. So I tend to go places where I can communicate. Um, and I think if you're a solo traveler, whether you're male or female, it's, I think the people who get into trouble are the people who a don't do the research beforehand and don't really familiarize themselves with what the day-to-day life is like in these places. And also, you know, you have to be willing, I'm all for traveling on a shoestring budget, but if you're a woman traveling by yourself, you have to make sure that you have at least $500 in your bank account. So if you're like, fuck this hostel, I'm sorry for using the F word. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. You can go to a hotel and pay for it and be fine that and has not happened have to me. To worry I've about done it. that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. We talked about that firsthand. I was with I wasn't by myself, but I was with a group of friends and that exact situation happened mm-hmm. and it was the difference between like we were going from one hostel to another. So it was like mm-hmm. cheap hostel, cheaper hostel going to still very cheap hostel because we f- didn't feel safe there and I was traveling with someone and she was like that's over budget. We can't do it. And we were like, if we as 20 something women cannot pool together 20 bucks between the three of us, then we have bigger problems. And so I definitely agree. Like really anything like all the stuff that we talk about on this podcast that are symbols of adulthood, buying a house. We talked about that with joy. Like if you buy a house, but you don't have the money for the renovations, or have an emergency fund in case your tiles start falling off the walls. Like, yeah. you're really setting yourself back. And especially when it comes to personal safety, you can't compromise on that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think the other thing I would say, you know, I did most of my solo travel kind of before the age of the iPod. So I was never, and I'm not putting a value judgment on this, but I was never plugged in like my ears. I, I was always had all of my senses about me. I wouldn't be walking down the street with earbuds in. I wouldn't be distracted in that way. And I think that's really, of course, if it's someplace that you've been staying for a few weeks and you feel comfortable and you want to go for a walk and listen to a podcast, that's fine. But if you're new in a city, because I can definitely think of two instances off the top of my head where if I hadn't been um, aware of my surroundings, I could have gotten into serious trouble. And one of those Never go to Naples in the middle of the night. Just going <laughs> to put that out there. Um, and the other, then the second was a pickpocketing instance. And, you know, I I heard the kid getting into my bag and I was like, 
hey, you know, and then I like screamed at him in Spanish. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I think it's, it's being aware is really the most important thing, but I just, I hate all, and I'm sure Ashton, you get this all the time. People are like, you're going to die. And you're like, well, you're going to die too. It's just the worst. Um, it's the worst thing to hear that. Um, but I do want to tell my favorite traveling story about getting groped. Are you guys ready? Sure. <laughs> I love so, that favorite. Yeah. Oh, it's my favorite. So I was 20 and I was studying abroad in Madrid and I was taking the subway to class. And of course I'm very like young and skinny and beautiful. And I'm wearing this, um, it wasn't like super short skirt, but it was like a skater skirt kind of. So like a pleated black skirt, like kind of tight fitting. And then it flared out and I'm on the subway and I'm reading my book or whatever. And somebody, somebody goes up my skirt and grabs my ass. And I turn While around. While you were sitting to- down. No, I was standing, oh, standing. I was like okay. holding the pole. So I turn around to like lay into this guy and I've got all my Spanish swear words ready to go. And I'm going to tell him what an hijo de puta he is. And I turn around and it is an 11 year old boy and his oh, little no. friends. And they just start giggling hysterically. They're like, <laughs> and then they like run off the train at that stop. And I was like, I can't even be. That's when you got to get them. You got to get them when they're young and they don't develop the habit. <laughs> I yet. know. But I was so shocked. I yeah. like also didn't even know what to say. You expect so. some like grimy old man to be doing that. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, I love that topic. Ashton, do you have anything else to add to that particular oh my gosh. topic? I think, you know, both of the, everything you just said is so real. I, but I also <laughs> think that it can happen to like, yes, keeping your wits about you and being really aware and doing your research before you get there can prevent so much, but also it can happen anywhere. And it's, to me, it's more just being like, I know something could happen. I want to prepare myself, like like you said, financially and make sure I don't have all my money on me or whatever. Yes. So like preparation to make sure it doesn't happen, but then preparing for like when it does, because if you travel enough, something is going to happen eventually. Yeah. And just especially, yeah, like you said, if you're a woman, it's more expensive. You have to look harder. You have to be ready to drop out of a hostel and move to a different hostel. But I think it can happen anywhere in any city and you just have to, you just have to be ready. Somebody, so I have one client who does workshops for safety for, or she's developing some for like women's safety while they're traveling. And she told me a really interesting statistic that people actually have their guard down more. I mean, they're, yeah, their guard down more when they're traveling. I expect people to have their guard up when they're traveling to make more fear. And she said that people get into like, just vacation mode. And they think, you know, I paid it for this resort or whatever. It's super safe, blah, blah, blah. And just like, don't pay attention to things. And so that's why so many things happen on the road. And that would have never occurred to me, but then I do most of my travel alone. So I'm constantly aware. Yeah. A great recommendation for that, that I just started watching the first episode of is it's on Netflix, a documentary series about Madeline McCann. This happened like 10 years ago. She's a, a Portuguese, um, or an English child that was abducted at a really fancy, oh, nice resort in Portugal yes. out of her bed. And mm-hmm. it's exactly what you're describing, Ashton. The parent, they were staying at kind of this like all inclusive type resort in Portugal. So safe city, you know, safe country. And they were at the pool restaurant, which literally faces the resort room. And they had really young kids like three and five years old, you know? And so they had this family that they were traveling with and they would put the kids to bed and then the adults would go have dinner. And they did this for like multiple days in a row and they would rotate every 15 minutes. An adult would go and check on all of the kids. So 
you think what could happen in 15 minutes i'm literally face i'm feet away mere feet from the house um and basically long story short one of the children within one of those 15 minute time periods that the adults weren't there got abducted out of her room and she's been missing for 10 years no one knows what happened to her and so that just is a horrible example of you know feeling like you're safe in this bubble while you're traveling and you know you don't want to be paranoid or anything but these things can happen it's really tragic Wow. Yeah. <laughs> On that it. note, Shay, do you have a hot topic? Um, well, I did have one, but I feel like it's a whole nother can of worms. So I'm going to save it. So oh, now I'm trying well, to think of something else. Well, I will tell you about it later. It's it's not that big of a deal. Um, but it's just it's I want to kind of stay on this travel theme. So now I'm starting trying to think of a travel related toasty campfire topic um hmm. i mean i've done like a lot of traveling i just got back from columbia which was very interesting yeah it was very nice it It was definitely talking about like women traveling alone it was like we definitely had there were places that we were like we were gonna like walk home from dinner to the hotel at night and we like started walking and we were like if we were two dudes doing this it would probably be fine but since we're two dainty ladies we're gonna take a cab like stuff Mm -hmm. like that happened um but it was Um, very very fun it was just interesting like hearing going to columbia to like a nice resort on the beach um and like having that experience and then hearing about her peace corps experience in her Pueblo that she lives in that's like five hours away by bus from where we were staying um and just you know even within a third world country like Colombia that's trying to develop itself how the experiences can be so different and we kind of look at these places like they're homogenous um so that was really interesting like me having an experience like seeing Cartagena for the first time and then her being like oh that's how it is here but like in the Pueblo it's completely different for x y and z reason so and the Peace Corps it's also effed up because we had to take a bus to Yeah, Bonakia. I think this is so interesting. Tell the I can story tell the story about the rabies. Okay, yeah. this is this is my hot topic, but Maddie's going to okay. tell it. Yes, okay. we can discuss. So yeah. to preface, I went to Columbia to visit my friend that's in the Peace Corps there. So she was going to meet me. She was going to take a bus to Cartagena, and then we were going to stay at this like beachside resort and like have a little girls weekend. Um, and Cartagena is super great. Would recommend. It's super easy to get there. It's like three hours from Atlanta. So and it's like within the same time zone. So totally easy if you're on the East Coast for like a weekend trip and you are sick of Miami because Miami's expensive, whatever. Um, So like we were planning on going there. So the day before I'm supposed to meet her, Sam, my friend, she got attacked by a feral cat. So a cat, this cat apparently lives with her family, but it's like kind of a street cat. So it like goes in and out and it's never been vaccinated. So the cat bit her and scratched her. And she was like, this cat has never been vaccinated. So she called the Peace Corps, as is the protocol, whenever something like non-life-threatening happens, they're supposed to call the Peace Corps doctor. Because technically, it depends on what country you're in. Like, every Peace Corps office has, like, a different relationship with the countries. Um, But Colombia has socialized medicine, but the Peace Corps is not a part of that. So, like, if Sam were to go to just, like, any general hospital, she would look like an uninsured Colombian and would be treated as such so to avoid that the Peace Corps has P 
Peace Corps doctors that work there and then they contract with like special private doctors so she can't just like go to any hospital. So anyway, she calls the Peace Corps and they're like, oh, well, you're um, behind your rabies booster. She was worried about tetanus, but they were like, your tetanus booster is fine, but your rabies booster is not up to snuff. So you should get like an exposure dose, which is basically like if you think you've been exposed to rabies, you have to get this dose. And she's like, well, the cat didn't look like it had any symptoms. Like, I don't feel like I have anything. And they're like, well, this is a precautionary thing to do. So you take a shot 24 hours apart. So they were like, come to Barranquilla, which is far away from where she lives, but it's two hours away from Cartagena. So they were like, come to Barranquilla, get the first shot. You stay overnight, you get the second shot, and then you can go meet your friend. And so she would be late meeting me by like three hours. So she calls me. She's like, I'm not going to meet you at the airport. I'll meet you at the hotel three hours later. I was like, great, fine. So I land. I'm at the hotel. And she's like, bad news. I had a reaction to the first (sighs) shot. And they're going to make me... I can't get the second dosage. And in hindsight, she probably should have just stayed there until she could have gotten the second dosage and just been late meeting me. But I think she was so sick of being there and like being in this hospital overnight and like looking forward to vacation. She just wanted to like get the show on the road. And so the Peace Corps doctor, a employee of our very own U.S. federal government, this is their plan. They were like, okay, we'll give you this loose vaccine pack it in an ice box and you take it on this bus to Cartagena and then just go to a minute clinic and they'll admi- administer it to you. So we're oh like, my okay. God. so Sam shows up with like a cooler that looks like it has a illegal kidney in it or something. It's like one of those, <laughs> oh you know, those transport coolers. And we're like, okay. And so we wake up the next day and we were planning on going to the beach. So she's like, I'm just going to wake up early, get this shot and then will be done and so she goes to the minute clinic and unsurprisingly the clinic doctor is like we don't know what's in that shot we'd have no idea who you are as a patient you're not colombian oh, and you're walking no. in here with a loose vaccine wanting to get sh- like a shot like no we're not gonna do that so they ask her her whole spiel like why do you have this and she was like i have a rabies pre-exposure and they're like okay so you got the first dose yesterday And they were like, well, the Colombian protocol is that it's not after a day. It's after seven days you get the thing. So, and they had an identical version of the shot that she had, but they were like, we can't give it to you today. So she calls the Peace Corps and is like, what the fuck? So now the Peace Corps doctor is talking to the Colombian doctor and they're arguing about what is the proper procedure. And so the Peace Corps doctor is like, you have to do the American thing, like whatever the American protocol is you have to do. And the only place the Peace Corps doctor is, is in Barranquilla. So you have to come to Barranquilla today. And so now Sam's like very upset. And she's like, literally, why is there nowhere in Cartagena? That's like a big city that I can do this. Yeah. And so we did not go to the beach that day. We got on a janky ass bus and we went to Barranquilla. And then the Peace Corps lady was like, why did it take you so long to come here? And we were like, bitch, we oh my came God. from Cartagena on this janky ass bus And she got the shot, and then the lady was like, oh, yeah, when I called the clinic in Cartagena, they didn't pick up the phone. And they were like, well, then why did you send her there with a loose vaccine? Yeah. And she was like, I thought it would work. I thought we could try it. And we were like, no. No. (laughs) No. And so I wonder, because I'm like, Sam lives five hours away, but there's other volunteers that are 10, 12, 
15 hours away from this clinic. And anytime they need something that's not considered life-threatening, they have to go to Barranquilla. And I'm like, this is not a good system at all. It was very janky. That's very crazy story. So speaking of crazy, I I don't even have any comments on that because (laughs) it is just so insane. And I feel like... You don't think that something like the Peace Corps is going to be run that poorly, especially when it comes to getting medical help? No, that's part of the design is they're like, I mean, when the Peace Corps first started, they didn't even find housing for the volunteers. They were just like, go to the village and negotiate your own housing. Like, you know, it's taken them 30 years to even get this modicum of, because that's kind of how it is by design. But it's just like, like the Peace what I find troubling about it too is like Columbia for all of its problems actually has a really good healthcare system. Like they have a lot of medical tourism. Like a lot of people go there for like plastic surgery and stuff, which like is its own topic in and of itself, but they have good doctors that live and work there and they have socialized medicine. It's not like, you know, they don't have doctors there that know what they're doing. They do. And I feel like oftentimes when, the U.S. is involved, I get that they're like, we're going to do it our way, but it's also, you know, you have to operate within the country that you're in and trust that they're not, you know, voodoo doctors who don't know science. Like, obviously, everyone in Colombia is not running around with rabies. Like, they know how to eradicate it. They have vaccines and stuff. So, you know, I think it's also just kind of like the American colonial aspect of what the Peace Corps is also wants them to act this way a little bit. I think that's true of a lot of travel. You know, like when Americans travel, we constantly have this idea that everything's going to be like it is in America. And if it's not, the American way is the best way. So obviously we have to do it our way. Yeah. But, you know, that I think that ruins a lot of travel experiences, not just because of the logistics of not, you know, working in the system that you're in, but also it just takes away a lot of insight that you could learn from looking at something from a different perspective, you know? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Anyways, do so, you have a hot topic or shall we jump right into the interview? Um, I had a hot topic as well, right. but now it's very much on its own can of worms. Oh, gosh. Okay. So I think I also really love this travel theme that we're on. Okay. Obviously, it's my whole experience. So Well, we can just I start peppering you. Let's dive in, and I think that's good for our timing as well, since Maddie and I have been very chatty today. (laughs) Um, So, Ashton, so you made the decision. Tell us a little bit about your decision to leave your nice job at Duke and start traveling full-time for a living. Okay. So I was working at Duke University in communications. I did go to grad school. I have altogether too many degrees, (laughs) and... I was doing, I mean, I, my job was nice. It was probably the nicest and, and most well-paid job I could have gotten right then. And definitely of anyone that I know who graduated with me, who was in the U S not elsewhere, but that's a whole nother story (laughs) and really liked it. But also I've always wanted to run my own business and I've always wanted to travel and freelance and kind of have more freedom and control in a way, or at least autonomy. And so after about two years, I was like, I really have to do this. If I don't do it now, it's never going to happen. And I also realized that in my job, as much as I had a good team and enjoyed my work, it was not, I was never going to go like go up in a way that I wanted to. Like it was very much, I'm still paying, you know, every penny on student debt. So I'm not like 
getting ahead in a way by having this job. So why am I doing it? And so I just kind of one day I made a Google doc literally and listed everything in my house, like all of my furniture, everything I owned except for my books and sent it to my friends and was like, I'm giving away all of this stuff. Let me know if you want something. And then I think in the same afternoon, every single thing was claimed. People love free stuff. <laughs> and I put in my notice, like with a few, honestly, like a few months notice to my boss personally. And then decided to take this freelance and saved up and started traveling by house sitting. So that's how I travel across the U.S. without paying for rent everywhere is I watch people's dogs and cats sometimes and stay in people's houses while they're like in Mexico or whatever. It's lots of like retirees um, hanging out at their timeshare. Is it people you know or how do you find the people that you house it for? So I have a profile on a website called Trusted House Sitters and like I feel like everyone should know about this website, yeah. but at the same time, I don't want to share because it's like, like it, it benefits me for there to be fear centers. But um, yeah, it, so you just make a profile and do like a background check and get reviews and stuff. And then people who have like nice houses and pets and travel, they put their house up and then ask for people to come stay. So it's like, it's free for you to get a house sitter. You have to pay to join the site or whatever. But yeah, so it's on, it's all online as usual. And what is your business what do you do as a freelancer? So I do a lot of copywriting and actually, so my whole thing is based on storytelling and using storytelling in your marketing and like your own story, but also your client's story. And so I loved your episode with Olivia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The own your oh story workshop is so awesome. Yes. I was like, I'm so glad. I'm very happy to be old news <laughs> with the whole <laughs> storytelling aspect because I love that it's a true, like, almost trendy thing now it's like people are recognizing that storytelling is really powerful yeah and I love that because there's just so much information out there it's like we're having to get better and better at standing out from the crowd and like the way you can like you can do that with your personality and people are finally kind of like owning up to that like that your personal history is something that can set you apart in a way your degrees can't because millions of people can have that you know absolutely so, yeah, so far I've been in ju mostly just in the U.S., um, traveling up the West Coast because I hadn't been there since I was a teenager. I'm from South Mississippi, and I went to grad school in Scotland and then lived in North Carolina. So I decided to see the West a little bit and was in Oregon and so, met Shay. Yes. I'm so intrigued by the logistics of this. So you obviously gave away all of your stuff. Like, what... Where do you consider, like, did you move stuff to, like, a, a friend's house? Like, where, if you had to give, like, a permanent address? I'm always curious about this kind of stuff. Like, where do you, like, so, file taxes and all of that, you know? Right. So all of those, yeah, logistics, like, slowly kind of have been, it's been really spread out mm -hmm. how I've dealt with all that stuff. And then I'm also realizing more and more, like, when I need it and when yeah. I don't. Because I feel like so but, many people, myself included, like, if I thought about, like getting rid of my apartment tomorrow, they feel so tied down to that sense of this is where I live. This is where I keep all my stuff. This is like my community. So like the tangible logistics I am interested in, but also I feel like it's so, so many people I think aspire to do what you've done, but they're weighed down psychologically, I think by being like, I feel homeless if I do that. Like, do you feel yeah. that that's happened? Not 
in some ways that I didn't expect it has, and then it hasn't in some ways that I thought it would. So I think I was a little more mentally prepared for this by the fact that I have moved a lot already. Like I've just picked up my whole life and gone somewhere else like several times now. Like, um, and so that wasn't as difficult for me as maybe it could have been. I already have friends that I keep up with exclusively, you know, via Skype basically and FaceTime with my best friend who lives in New Orleans. Like, we haven't lived in the same place for years, but I mean, we have like a standing Skype date. So I think I was a little more prepared. And also I am, I don't know if this is as relevant as I think it is in my brain, but like, I'm not a things person. Like I've never had a lot of stuff just because mm-hmm. it's not. So I, I didn't have a lot. Like, it minimalist. Yes. And so all of my furniture was from the thrift store. Like I had never spent a ton of money on anything. So I wasn't, financially tied to any of it hardly um yeah so I give my so I still have a permanent address obviously because I have to have like a bank (laughs) and my business is registered in Mississippi which is where it's been for years and so I have all of that my permanent address my business address everything is in Mississippi and they have like services so that you can have like a I'm what it's called is blanking on me right now registered agent that's it so that you can have a business address without giving away like your home and then you get spam all the time so and just doing business in that state that's so interesting yeah there's tools to make it happen again there's an app for that like (laughs) (laughs) yeah but the logistics are easy i live out of two suitcases it makes things simple i promise (laughs) so do you have like a ton of boxes at your parents house with all your memorabilia and items like that or you just kind of like these are my suitcases and my car and that's it I have a couple of boxes in this in like my parents shed so I grew up on a farm so there's lots of like room for you to store things that's excellent yes and so I do have a few boxes of like um I have my summer clothes which I am about to I'm about to go get uh Easter so pretty soon I'm gonna pick those up and um, some kitchen things. And that's, I mean, that's, oh, and, bo- and books. And yeah. I can't. Yeah, so I was wondering about your book collection. No, I that know. is my sentimental, like. I know you said that, Shay, like when you were moving, you mm-hmm. somewhat regret giving away so many of your books. Yeah. I mean, I think I had this situation when I, I mean, I've similar to Ashton on several occasions just been like, you know what? None of my furniture is of value. And I pack up my few personal items. And my Certainly clothes, that couch and in our room. old apartment was oh my God. Well, less than zero dollars. chewed to pieces by Benson and her sister, Brooklyn. But, um, you know, it was really funny with my books because I had been going back and forth. Like, am I going to get a storage unit? Am I not going to get a storage unit? Um, and I really was determined not to get one. And then at the end of the day, it just, with the room I needed for Benson in the car, I was going to have to store a few things. Um, unfortunately before I realized that, because I would have definitely kept some items, um, and particularly a bunch of books that I gave away. But the really interesting takeaway for me was the books that I, was able to give to people that I knew would enjoy them and people that I cared about. I don't miss them at all. I'm happy to buy another copy, but it was the books that I just dropped at the Goodwill that I'm really like angry about. So, um, but I did take pictures of all the books I got rid of so I can rebuy some of them, probably most of them. Um, You kept a record of your library. Yeah. Well, it was because I was like, Hey, Instagram, if you want this book, you can come pick it up at my house and, here it is, but it's also nice to have that visual record. Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, I'm also yeah. curious 
about Mississippi because I don't think I've ever met someone who grew up there. So what was that like and what do you love about it and what maybe made you want to move away? <laughs> That's so funny. I actually get that a lot. Like you're definitely obviously not the first person I mean, it's who a said... small state. I don't know how many people live there, but it's definitely I... not one of the most populous that you meet someone like from Texas no. all the time. No, I, there were actually people even in North Carolina that called me just Mississippi because I was the only person they knew from Mississippi. But yeah, it's um, that's, that's a very broad question. Yeah, I'm well, sure. Like, so it's very, I mean, obviously I grew up in a really rural area um, and with cows and horses and all that stuff, like not far from my grandparents. Very small town, two red lights. Wow. Um, so it's a beautiful state. Like you can drive and drive and drive and see forests and pine trees and stuff, but not a lot of jobs, which it would be why I'm not yeah. there. Um, yeah. yeah. So I went to college in Louisiana and then I really haven't lived in Mississippi since then, except for like the occasional summer and stuff. Um, yeah. So it's, it is a very conservative place. Um Feel free to ask a more specific question about living in Mississippi. I feel like I'm drawing a blank Do on you. I feel like the cost of living is low. Very. Everything seems expensive to me because yeah. of that. Do you think coming from Mississippi in a more conservative background, that's made it harder to kind of explain your lifestyle choices? And that makes me makes it sound like you're like shooting a heroin on the street. What I mean <laughs> is your lifestyle choice of traveling the world alone as a woman. Um, do you kind of get some patriarchal pushback? Um, in some ways, yes, not out of my recent decisions. Um, but the first time I decided to travel extensively was on basically, I was interested that you were talking about the Peace Corps earlier, mm -hmm. because I know a, not a ton of people who've done it, but I've never heard like good stories from them. And I did kind of a similar thing to the Peace Corps. It's like a Christian version almost. Mm. And so it, you're supposed to travel for a year. You go to a lot of different countries and do volunteer work. And I got a lot of pushback. And that was the first time I was definitely traveling for a long time, telling people about it and like selling t-shirts and doing all kinds of stuff to raise money for this trip. And I got a lot of pushback. I got hate mail. Like wow. a lot of strange things happened that I didn't expect. Yeah, but also wow. that was, I mean, that was my first long trip and so everything else since then has seemed almost stupidly easy, you know, it's yeah. like I dealt with that. And then I realized, you know, there's always going to be people who think my choices are weird. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time worrying about it. And honestly, like deciding to do this, what people thought about it was never really something that I had to worry about because I keep weirdly enough, even though I Instagram, obviously I get clients through Instagram and I do a lot of stuff on social media. I don't spend a lot of time advertising like my personal travel. Mm -hmm. So I don't get as much pushback as you would think. I mean, still, my grandmother's like, why aren't you married yet? <laughs> so <laughs> but I think that's normal yeah. for everyone. Speaking of Instagram, how did the two of you find each other? Because you mentioned you were online friends. Yes. Oh, you go ahead. Well, I was to say, remember the group that I was talking about in the Olivia episode um, where they Oh, there was the, the rogue man gentleman? Yeah, yes. yeah, gentleman. It was in that group that we met. And that is started as something called the, what was it called originally? Unfuckwithable Girlfriends. Unfuckwithable oh, yeah. Girlfriends by um, Ash Ambridge. Yeah, um, I get and... her emails. I'm not in the Facebook yeah. group, but. She's super awesome. Yeah. And it was, it was great. And then she dissolved the group earlier 
or late last year. Um, and some other ladies like kept it going in another private group. So, uh, and that is how I met Ashton. And I think she had just said, either one of us had reached out and been like, are there any girlfriends in Portland? And next thing you know, we were hanging out. Yeah. That's very cool. It was actually, we were connected by a a mutual friend in there, Rachel, who Mm -hmm. I did like a connection project with. And I was like meditating every day on people I could connect with to put my business forward. And that was amazing. That I mean, I don't know. I think that's a very millennial thing is like using your intuition and all this stuff in your business. And it did, I mean, it worked wonders for me. I don't want to sound like it's a magic bullet, but like just the practice of connecting every day made a big difference. I think that's really interesting because I think this is something I really, really struggle with. Um, I, I'm in this wonderful, wonderful mastermind right now, mastermind right now with, um, friend of the pod, Brianne Wick, and it's so amazing and I love it, but it's, it's very mindset based. And I am this like very practical ancient millennial. And sometimes I'm like, do not tell me to think my way to money because I will literally explode. But it's been really great to kind of be with this group of these women who do practice this and have seen various results and who are so lovely because it makes me take a minute to be like, okay, you know what, maybe I need to take a minute and not just dismiss this outright. Um, but that's hard, you know, to practice those, those types of mindsets. And you want to say that it's all malarkey and hogwash, but unfortunately there is some merit yeah. to it. That's <laughs> why unfortunately. Yeah. I, I like, um, my, I loaned Rachel Hollis's books to my, uh, coworker and she's reading them. And then like, so I'm kind of like reliving the books through her but that's I kind of like uh, you know obviously she's not the one to invent it but I like how Rachel Mm -hmm. Hollis has kind of she has that approach of it starts with what you're describing like the mindset or thinking your way to something or intuition but then it always ends up with okay you've you've now thought on this thought for a while now let's do some smart goals or setting some intentions in place and it's not I feel like marrying the two is better it's if it's the people that are always in the clouds that never get anything done but it's also the people that are like i have to see results immediately that also don't get anything done but mirroring the two i think that philosophy works really well i agree because i am like the most pragmatic bitch you were ever going to meet and so i definitely thought all of it was malarkey and all this stuff and i still do in a lot of ways but i think the thing that i've learned from people with more of that mindset and adopting some of those practices is basically not taking things for granted I guess not like questioning your assumptions and your values like your goals every day like what you are thinking about every day affects you in ways that you don't expect and so I've really loved spending more time trying to just be and then I know I know this is a uh, buzzword but be intentional Mm -hmm. about the things you're doing I love intent yeah totally but I think intent that is where kind of that marriage happens well I have I have one crazy story I Ashton shared with me that I would like her to share with the group because I think it's so preposterous what happened to her um Ashton would you mind sharing with the group why you are not in Ireland on a horse farm right now (laughs) sure so because talk about women traveling alone and being like I don't know what to do in this situation yes so it it was a very interesting experience and when you were talking about earlier 
um, making sure that you have money in your kind of emergency account for having to abandon a hostel. I mean, also have have emergency cash for like abandoning a country because yeah. it can happen. <laughs> so, and also, the, um, I feel like there are a lot of people, including me, sometimes who are scared to travel to a country that seems more foreign, I guess, than like an English speaking country or that they've never been to before. But also, things can go like wildly wrong in a country you're very familiar with. So, the thing or the country that I've been spent the most time traveling to, if you added up my whole life, would be Ireland. And I've been half a dozen times I've always had really great experiences and never needed a visa never um but so I was trying to go for about two months and I was using I well I used a website called Workaway to meet a woman who runs a like an equine therapy center and she well she was technically in Northern Ireland but I was I was in Dublin it's it's very strange story anyway So I was supposed to be helping out at a charity in exchange for a place to stay while I was there. And I was going to be there for about two months total. So I got to the border and because I was staying for two months, that's a kind of suspicious looking amount of time if you're not, you know, rich and don't have a ton of money, you know. So they asked to look at my bank account, which I obviously let them do. Um, But it was very strange. It was like he immediately wanted to see all of my funds and wanted me to use my phone to show him my bank account. And then but then was like don't hold your phone up too high. I don't want the cameras to see you. And I was like, very weird to have my phone out. And then he wanted to know, he went through all of my emails, all of my text messages. He wanted to know who I knew in Ireland because I was obviously like staying with friends, doing all this stuff because I went to grad school in Scotland. So I know people in Ireland and I've, I used to, I worked there for a while and I had made a joke in one of my emails. So my dissertation supervisor from grad school was Irish and he had recently reached out to me and wanted me to be a mentor to some of his current students. And I made a joke in my response to him and said, why would you want me to be a mentor? I'm unemployed and homeless on paper. Like this is silly because I, I mean, it was right after I quit my job. So I was just being ridiculous. And this immigration officer sees this joke and was like, what are you talking about? what do you mean you're unemployed and homeless? Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you here? And (laughs) basically it just kind of all went downhill from there. And he was like, you can't work at a charity the whole time you're here. You can't, you, you need a visa for that, blah, blah. Apparently what it comes down to is you, when I looked it up online, because I was so flustered in the moment, I just kind of went with what he said. And apparently you have to have, um, I'm not a lawyer. Do I need like a disclaimer or something? Like, I don't know. But (laughs) apparently if the charity work is incidental to your stay, you're fine. But if it's the point of your stay, you need a visa. So basically if it's less than the half the time that you're going to be spending there, you're fine on a normal 90 day American tourist visa because you're an American, you can go to the moon um, in the words of a nice Ryanair employee. Um, The rare friendly Ryanair employee. (laughs) Um, I've also been told, like, fuck you by Ryanair employees, so. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's better than wow air, am I but right? But I think the craziest part of the story that, maybe, uh, yeah, wow air, but that you're probably about to get to is that he, even though you weren't even going to stay in Ireland, you were on your way to Northern Ireland, which is, right. as of today, still part of the UK, he made you. So far. So far. Uh, he made you leave the country. Yeah, so what did you and, do? You had to buy a last minute yeah. plane ticket? 
Yes. Oh my so God. he gave me four days to leave and wrote in my passport, basically no extensions, blah, blah, blah and said, don't go to the UK. And I, I don't know how they can tell me exactly. not to go to a different country, but yeah. I, so I did like, obviously I'm going to do whatever he says. Right. Um, because he's a cop and cops are scary. <laughs> and I would I always want to be legal. Um, yeah, he told me I had four days to leave. At first he told me I just had two. And then I guess I looked so pitiful thinking about how much that was going to cost. He gave me four days. Um, and then I had to, you know, forward him my flight itinerary and let him check to make sure that I got on a plane leaving the country. And so, I, yeah, I actually, I came back to the U.S. because I could have gone to mainland Europe and tried to figure something out from there and stayed in a hostel or whatever but obviously at this point I was so stressed by the fact that I knew my next two months of travel weren't going to work that I was like okay I've got to kind of just start fresh like I have to start over and make a whole new plan so I actually went back to Portland where I had stored my car and found some new house sits and stayed in Portland and Seattle for a little bit um, watching a nice cat while a family went to Mexico and worked from there so yeah. I think that's an amazing story to end on. I hope you have better luck next time and that you don't run into yes. that guy again. This reminds um, this reminds me of former guests of the pod, Justin Perez, when you were talking about your email joke of being homeless. He had a very, very short story. I promise this is not gonna go on and on, but it just reminded me of oh, it please. that he he's a comedian, but his day job he's a court officer in a court building. And he had a new joke notebook um, and it only had one page worth of jokes. So on the subway, he would write jokes and stuff like on his way to work. And this was like a brand new joke notebook. And apparently he was working out a joke about someone committing suicide on the train. And he had the book, the notebook on his desk at work and it went, it like flew open or something like he just tossed it on the desk. And so it was open to the first page. And one of his coworkers walked by and it was just a notebook, nothing else in the notebook, just a page about committing suicide on the subway. And so he got like blown into his supervisor and had to like give his gun back and go to like court mandated counseling because they thought he was suicidal based on oh, his joke no. notebook. Poor Justin. I know. So <gasps> that sounds like something that would happen to me. To yeah. With, yeah. <laughs> Like the wrong people looking at your personal emails or your personal journal, but anyway, I just still can't believe that they could do because in America you'd be like, get a warrant. Yeah, but, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I don't it's, know. It, it's just so crazy. Yeah, you know, it's just making sure you're that you're flexible. I guess would be my best travel advice. Like always be ready for yeah. Plan B. And you Amen, never know sister. with some of these countries. Like, ugh, get some <laughs> yeah someone on the wrong day. All right. Well, shall we go into the rapid fire questions? Time for the archery range. We'll ask you a series of rapid fire questions. Answer off the top of your head. Don't overthink it. Here we go. Favorite book? Pride and Prejudice. Gonna have to be. I'm sorry. I love it. Favorite movie? Oh, shit. There's too many. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, Can be a favorite. A favorite. So again, super cheesy. Probably leap year. Oh, I haven't. Oh, one. I have seen that one. It's a good one. Uh, favorite childhood snack? Mmm, peanut butter sandwiches, or literally anything with peanut butter. Would you just have peanut butter? Or would there be also be jelly on there? 
Just peanut butter. Do you guys know what today is? National, no. National peanut butter day. Butter day. Oh. Yes. How Go get some peanut it? butter, girl. Yes. Yeah. My coworker cookie. told me. <laughs> So I have not fact checked, but someone told me at work today that it was, in fact, National Peanut Butter Day. Great. Good to know. Um, Favorite TV show? The Newsroom by a long shot. If you haven't seen it, highly recommend. Very relevant and terrifyingly accurate. Okay. Favorite and least favorite places you visited? Oh, God. Um, I feel like this is so colored by my personal experiences of that place, you know, like they, I could go back and maybe they would be redeemed and maybe they wouldn't. Mm. Um, my most surprising least favorite place, and I'm going to get probably hate mail for this, <laughs> was Paris. I did not enjoy Paris. that. It yeah. was one of the, um, I mean, I was definitely solo. And so it was one of my worst solo experiences, traveling around, like getting followed by people constantly and like harassed. Uh, Louvre, obviously amazing. But, and so I think I'll go back one day, but not alone. Oh, and favorite. Oh, gosh. Um, I really do love Scotland. The Isle of Skye is absolutely beautiful. I took my mom there after I graduated, and Aww. we drove around, and it's just breathtaking all the time. Any hill, any side street, anything. Like, you're not going to find anything ugly. So. That's awesome. I feel like that's a nice place to end, unless you have more questions, Shay. I think that's, I'm good. Ashton, can you please tell our listeners where they can find and follow you or hire you for their travel business? Absolutely. You can find more about my work on my website, which is destinationstories.com. And you can follow me and see some of my travels and then a lot of more like my life lessons from traveling and business on Instagram at Ashton Whitney. And then me just being kind of a moron on Twitter at Ashton Whitney as well, which I use more for fun. Uh, Also, Ashton has a wonderful newsletter uh, if you're at all interested in travel or business. So make sure to sign up for that on her website. I signed up today. Um, I'm so excited. Yeah. Oh, yay. Really been enjoying it. All right. Thank you, campers. I have no idea who's on next. So (laughs) I will have to put that. uh, We have exciting stuff, though, for the spring. We have a lot of really good people on the slate, I feel. Good people. Repeats of a couple favorite guests. So it's going to be good times. Yay. Yay. All right. Thanks, Campers. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, Resident Youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield, and this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com, and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Please also find on our website, there are links to our Patreon page where you can be a subscriber and there are many cool prizes. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.